Today I welcome Gemma Gibson, headmistress at Bedford Girls School in the UK. In this episode, I discuss the relevance of girls' education, the long tail of mental health post-COVID, and why girls' schools are leading the way in future school thinking. You are the headmistress of Bedford Girls School, which is an all-through girls' independent day school. I want to kind of talk about girls' education. Um, we've recently had International Women's Day, which is, uh, again, an important day but you know to celebrate, but it's only one day and we should talk about this being 365. Is all girls' education still relevant, though, because the world's co-ed? Oh, absolutely. I think there's always going to be a place for all girls' education. What we really notice is that our students really develop an intellectual confidence. Being in an all-girls environment really is the best way, I believe, for girls to thrive. I think that's partly because they're free from gender stereotypes. It would never occur to our students that they couldn't go off and study physics or be an engineer or play sports that might traditionally be seen as male sports. And I love that about being in an all-girls school. I think the atmosphere in all girls schools is really calm. As you walk around our school, um, parents always comment on how calm it is. It's such a safe environment for our students to grow and develop. And we've really seen that there's been a huge demand for places at our school recently. We're up to, we're a big school, 980 pupils, and we've grown massively over the past few years. So there clearly is still a huge demand for all girls education. And I think research backs that up as well. It shows that girls get better mental control in all girls' environments, uh, that confidence I was talking about. And they're two and a half times more likely to take physics or maths in the sixth form. And the other STEM subjects are higher as well. So I think there's definitely always a place for all girls' education. Yeah, I completely agree. And what's also fascinating and interesting to see is that a lot of all boys schools are turning co-ed so they don't seem to have the same foundation or the same strength going forward is this just a product of the strength of girls education that we need to keep them protected in a way but also in an environment and a petri dish in which they can experiment and grow and be themselves through you know teenage years are are tricky um i mean why do you think the boys are going more co-ed i haven't seen any girls school decide to go co-ed I think that's quite a hard one to answer, but I suspect it's in part that the research backs up that girls thrive better in all girls education. The research is less clear on boys education. And actually, there's some research out there about sort of bright students and actually bright students in particular. I think boys feed off well from girls, but actually girls dampen down their abilities when they're in a co-ed environment and actually they thrive better in an all-girls environment where actually there's a sort of healthy amount of competition not the sort of really bullish competition but you know they're happy to show off that they've got skills in a certain area I think it might be partly to do with that but really hard to answer and there's absolutely a place for boys schools as well they my two boys are in a boys school and and they're really thriving there so I think there is a place for the uh, boys schools too I mean, talking about boys' school, you're obviously an all-girls school. It is important for the sexes to mix and to have this co-ed experience in some way. What do you do in terms of working partnerships with boys' schools to ensure that the girls have access to boys for extracurricular, whether it's drama, some sporting? Tell me what you do. So we do a huge amount with the boys' school in our trust. And we just had a really amazing production of uh, Bugsy Malone between the two schools. We have CCF that happens every week. 
there's definitely an equal amount of boys and girls taking part and also in the leadership roles, which is really lovely. We do a ready to lead conference where boys and girls get to work together and actually we do fun activities as well. So the sixth form had a winter Olympics where the boys and girls were in joint teams and they were doing silly activities. And then coming up, we've got the first rugby team playing the lacrosse team here, I think. So I can't wait to see the boys having a go at lacrosse. And in fact, today uh, we've got the year six boys over with us for an internet safety day. And I've just popped over to see them and they're having a great time. So, but actually beyond that, I think uh, we're all cognizant. There are things that we need to develop further. And I think when Everyone's Invited came out a couple of years ago, it was so shocking to read the stories that were on there. And the young people who voiced what had happened to them are so brave. And I think it's really important that we take stock of that and really work together to improve that situation. And it's really concerning that it's so prevalent that the relationship between boys and girls isn't what we would hope for them, which is obviously to have equitable and trustworthy relationships. It's a situation that girls can't solve on their own. We have to have boys involved in this. Sometimes teenagers get really entrenched views. And the last thing we want is boys and girls having set opinions on things and not meeting in the middle to be able to talk. We're working really closely with the boys' school on how we resolve this. We're not always going to get it right. It's going to be a a difficult road. It's one we definitely need to go down. And we've also got professionals in to help us as well. So we had a safeguarding expert come into all the schools in the trust, Adele Gladman, looked at our policies, how we handle issues of sexual misconduct. Uh, She talked to students, staff and alumni. And uh, please say BGS did very well. She was very impressed. We had some outcomes from that. So we've got a trust-wide sexual misconduct policy now for students, which is really helpful. Uh, Greater training for staff. We're obviously doing the joint work with the boys' school. We've enhanced our PSHE lessons as well. So it was really valuable and, and we'll continue to look at that and continue to work with it. Yeah, and I can see how this is obviously creating meaningful change and addressing, I think, some of the inequalities. We've seen, you know, over the last few months with Andrew Tate, right, misogyny is back because of power of social media and without any kind of controls or anybody helping to support and shape that. So again, it's a really important, it can't just be a tick box or a committee that decides that, look, we need to address this and we've written a plan and we're now going to show you that we're doing it. It has to be embedded as a constant. Has that been difficult to embed in your school to ensure that it hasn't just become a tick box exercise and we're addressing it from an outward comms point of view, but we are absolutely doing it and making sure that we make a difference? Yeah, I mean, I think education and understanding is so key to this issue and in particular developing empathy. I think it's so crucial. Uh, Young people understand each other's positions and can work together. And without that common understanding, it will always be a tick box exercise. And and I think that's where we're really focusing. I also think it's really important that students take the lead in this. It affects them and it's their voices that are important. As we all know, teenagers listen to their peers often far more than they'll listen to adults. So actually that peer-to-peer training is really, really crucial. And actually getting the younger years involved as well and not just thinking this is something that affects you know, the later teens. That's why we've had our six formers, both here at the girls' school and at the boys' school, create a programme that they do with the year nine students, looking at respectful relationships, 
issues of consent. What's lovely is the sixth formers, they understand the sorts of things that year nine students might be facing and they can talk to them in their own language. And I think that's how we're going to get really meaningful change. It's definitely going to be a long process, though. This is not going to be solved overnight. We've drawn upon other experts as well. So we had the RAP project come in and they're experts in this field. And they talked jointly to the boys and to the girls. It was a really powerful session. The girls really felt heard. The boys potentially felt a little bit victimized in places. And, and I think it was really tough message. And we've got to move forwards from that. We've got to work together. So I think we will make meaningful change as long as we keep talking about it and we get our young people involved. But it's a long road, but one I definitely want us to try and resolve. It's just great that you're having the constant conversation and it has to be led with the young women that you have at school, but also, as you say, by connecting to the young men because they're part of the kind of the solution and and making it more addressed. In terms of other areas around supporting diversity and inclusion, is obviously a broader topic than just being supporting girls only. How have you found that part of kind of partial and, you know, vision piece within Bedford Girls School? I think that's another really important area for us and somewhere that we're putting a lot of effort. I think it's so important that all students feel valued when they're in school. On top of that, that they feel they can be themselves. They need to really feel listened to. I think we're really lucky at Bedford Girls School because we are a really diverse school and we celebrate that. And it allows us to have great opportunities to learn from one another and to become a more inclusive community. Obviously, as you say, we talk about gender inequalities, but we also absolutely look at race and disability as well. In terms of looking at race in particular, we completed the FLAIR survey in September, which is a survey that looks at how included our students feel in school, whether they are seeing racism around them in forms of harassment or racial jokes. And I think it was a really important marker in the sand for us to say, we're taking this really seriously. We want to know how you're feeling and what your day-to-day life is like. Overall, the results, there were some very pleasing elements to the results, but we still got a huge amount of work to do to ensure that all of our students really feel they can be themselves in school. And we've got a great action plan from that, and particularly working with Student Voice. It's a real passion project for me, having lived all over the world. You know, I understand what it's like being in different cultures. I find it fascinating, really exciting and interesting. But I think we've all got to be really reflective. It's incumbent on schools to take a really good look at themselves and make the changes that they need to. And do you think this is impacting teachers? It feels like there's more that a teacher needs to be equipped with nowadays because of all of these different kind of inward pressures that are out there that our children have access to. How do we make sure that the teachers themselves are well equipped because they need to understand a very fast moving landscape of kind of currency and social change that's going on? Has that been difficult at all? Has that just been quite easy to embed into an existing kind of PD programme? We certainly draw upon experts a lot. I think that's really important. So we've had the Schools Inclusion Alliance in uh, who talked to us about disability in particular. Experts come in and do unconscious bias training with us and others who have come in to talk to us about race. We've got a really engaged staff group who look at diversity and inclusion. It's a really big group. 
and they're really passionate about it. And I think that is very helpful in making sure that we're doing the right things by our students. I think we all acknowledge that it's difficult and that staff are having to learn a lot of even just key terminology. So we've created a glossary because the terminology, particularly say around gender, has developed massively in the past couple of years. And so we're doing everything we can to support our staff. One of the things we're we're about to do, actually, is we're getting some of our students to do little short video clips of what life is like for them in school. As long as you keep coming back to the student and putting the student at the centre of everything, the staff will be on board because we wouldn't be teachers if we didn't want to make life better for children. That's the crux of it. But yeah, lots of training and keep going with it. I hope you're enjoying the Inspiring Schools podcast. We're always on the hunt for guests with vision and a desire to share them. If you'd like to be involved or know of someone with great ideas at a school near you, please drop me an email to podcast at interactiveschools.com and my team will be in touch. I want to talk some pastoral issues and obviously the issues and the attention we're getting post-COVID. I think I saw a report out today, actually, that says kids aren't having more mental health issues because of post-COVID. I don't believe with the research or the output. I think it's still a ticking time bomb that we still really don't know. The pressures on young people, do they feel like they're more than when we were probably their age because of social media, because of 24-7 access, because of perceptions on where they see themselves for love and belonging and fitting? How do we reduce these pressures on young people or at least kind of lessen their impact? It's really hard. And I think I agree with you. The pandemic has absolutely had an effect on our young people. How could it not? It's that once in a generation world event. And on top of that, you know, we've now got financial crisis, a war in Ukraine, on top of, as you were saying, the sort of 24-hour stimulation. And, And I think the other thing that young people really struggle with is the fact that it's such a polarized world nowadays, that people are so entrenched in their views that they can't hear the other side anymore. And I think that's really, really tough for young people to cope with. So for us, we look at having really strong pastoral care. It's about really seeing individuals, knowing them, and building those really great relationships with them. I think it's also about how we teach. I think for us, we want to make sure we always get the best outcomes for our students, but we want that to be done with as little pressure as possible because they're feeling so much pressure elsewhere. We certainly don't want to add to that. Some of the things we've done is looked at, we don't set very much at BGS. We try and limit testing. We've had lots of discussions around homework and about reducing the amount of that for young people, particularly those that come in in year seven. I would much rather they were out playing sports or dancing or engaging whatever hobby makes them happy than being chained to a desk doing homework. And it's about having balance as well. We have well-being days for a lot of our year groups. Lots of great activities, you know, sport is obviously brilliant for mental well-being, but other things like yoga and then sort of following on from the theme of homework in uh, key stage three, we have a reading week each term where students have no homework at all. And what we want them to do is to curl up with their favorite book and get immersed in a great story. I think it's really important that they have a trusted adult in school and we work very, very hard at making sure that that's in place. And having safe spaces in school, you know, students do get overwhelmed at times, 
and we've got a well-being room in the senior school, the junior school, the sixth form, and we've got a beautiful well-being garden as well where they can go and get a bit of peace and quiet and a bit of fresh air and nature, which we all know is, is really important for well-being. And we've also expanded our counselling teams and our learning support team. So we've got those trusted adults in place to support children when they're struggling. But this, again, is not an overnight fix. And I completely agree with you that this is a time bomb. And it's something that we really do need to keep focusing on. I'm confident we've got great staff in place that, you know, will make sure our students are really well supported. Are you finding that there are any mental health and social issues that are most prominent amongst young people? You actually are in a pretty good position. A, you're the head of an all-girls school, so you get to see and what's going on. And also you're a mum of two boys. So again, you get to see a very different side of things. Are they the same for the boys and the girls that you're seeing in their environments? Or are they pretty much the same being felt for boys and for girls? I think some of the issues are the same. So I think uh, in particular, we're noticing that uh, students are not always, but quite often a couple of years behind in their social development at the moment because they miss two years of school, essentially. And so we're seeing that in our very little ones who come into the junior school but also in our students in year 10 and 11 who are having the sorts of friendship issues we would have expected to see in year 7 and 8. And I think that probably goes across the board, boys and girls. We also have seen a number of students who actually really loved being at home during the pandemic. Sometimes it's our neurodivergent students who liked being in a quiet space on their own and actually trying to rebuild their confidence in being back in a school environment which is essential for their development long term, but has been quite a tricky transition for some students, is really crucial as well. As I was saying before, the sort of polarised views affects both boys and girls. And sometimes it's boys versus girls. Sometimes it's other issues. And, and I think that's really problematic. I'd say social media pressure, particularly around body image, I do think probably affects girls more than boys, but boys are not immune Another area that's really critical is the damaging effect of porn, which is having a huge impact on how girls and boys have relationships with each other. And that works both sides, but that is a real problem and something we all need to address. Obviously, anxiety and stress, I would say, applies to both, but we may see more issues of self-harm and eating disorders in girls. Again, boys are not immune for that. So I think in many ways, there are similar issues. There's a lot for young people to contend with at the moment. And that's why schools are so important in providing that support uh, for young people to know how to cope with all of these things. Yeah, I'm a, a father of a co-family. I've got, you know, girl boy, girl boy. Um, so again, I've seen it and lived at both sides, boys schools, girls schools. And I would say body images, it affects, I think, girls more. But absolutely, I can see how it does impact my boy's life, my boy is 18 now. And where's he expected to be with body image, where they work out, what they do, what they eat? I mean, honestly, the diets that these boys have to go on now just to compete for vanity is, is horrendous without just feeling confident in how they feel and look. We often put boys slightly behind the girls, but I think, again, that's to our own detriment. We talk about partnerships with parents as well, because it's really important that, you know, it doesn't all happen at school. Because, you know, we almost like abdicate responsibility to kind of all mental and social well-being because, look, I'm going to give them to you, Gemma. And I know that when, when they come back to me, I'm sure you've covered it. And as long as they're happy, they're fine. 
how do you manage that partnership with your parents just to make sure that they aren't abdicating, that they really understand the issues and they can figure out how to deal with a teenage girl to ask the right questions to get the right responses? Quite difficult. You're absolutely right. That relationship between uh, school and parents is absolutely critical. I think great communication is really important, uh, particularly when things are going wrong. It starts with us when they first come into the school and we do a welcome evening with a huge focus on a pastoral side of things, particularly around friendships. Uh, year seven and eight is where students do often have quite difficult times with their friendships. And I think parents can get quite worried about that. But actually, it is just a normal part of growing up. I know they do this still kind of work in the junior school as well. On top of that, we also do other workshops. So we call them curriculum conversations, but they can be on how to cope with exam stress, how to support your child with their learning. We've got one coming up in a week or so about how to support neurodivergent students in particular. We draw on experts. So the RAP project that I mentioned earlier has a parent event that parents could hear those really hard-hitting messages. And we're also developing a page on our website to help signpost parents to really good websites that will help with the issues they might be facing. Uh, We also do stuff on internet safety as well. and, And I think that's a really important area because our young people are always much better on technology than we are. I count myself really lucky being a teacher because I'm actually very aware of what's going on in terms of social media. But actually, ordinary parents would not necessarily know those sorts of things. So actually, that I think is a really critical one. So we will continue to work really closely with our parents and hope that through great partnerships, we'll be able to support the young people in our care. I'm always talking about the future school or the future of education. Why is it important to ensure education is future focused? And what are you doing at BGS to ensure that your girls get access to more future oriented or future proof ways of teaching? For our students, we really want them to be the creative thinkers, change makers and problem solvers of the future. I think we can all acknowledge that the education that we had when we were at school back in the 20th century doesn't cut the mustard nowadays. It has to be far more future focused than that. Employers want more. I think the Times Education Research last year said that 50% of employers would like to see education reimagined so that it's better employees and that the actual actually leads to better business as well. So they're really focusing on things like skills to do with negotiation, flexible thinking, judgment, and that all important one, creativity, which I think can sometimes get squeezed out in some schools, which is really important for me. I think we also teach our girls metacognition so that they're active learners and they know how they learn best because that's what they need when they go off to university and when they go off into their careers as well. And as we've talked about, it is a VUCA world at the moment. I think we've been talking about that for about the past 10 years. And I think the past three years has just been even more volatile than ever. So having that inner confidence to be able to deal with change is so crucial. So it's essential that education is future focused in order for our students to survive in this strange, weird, wonderful, ever-changing world. Yeah, it is. It's always going to be ever-changing, but you'll kind of note about how fast it's changed. But it's all technology-driven. We often forget that we haven't 
and aren't evolving or changing as fast as technology. And we never will be. And we're just going to be caught up into it until we all fall over. Can I just ask your thoughts? It wasn't one of the questions, but just around chat GPT, because again, it's being talked around a lot in schools, obviously, since it came out at the beginning of the year. I just wondered what your views and how you're approaching it at BGS. I think we have to embrace it. You know, it's here now. There's no point getting up in arms about it and saying that's the end of essays. I don't think it is. We actually need to look at using it. Um, So it could be cited as a reference, potentially, in things that students are working on. I think it would be useful for students to put an essay title into it and then critique the essay and see how they would do it differently. I think it does have a sort of certain style to it when you look at how it's written. So I think you can tell it's sort of computer generated and not done by a human. So, I mean, my view is we've got to embrace all of these things. I know that IB has come out and said they've got a statement on it. And I I hope that the British education system will come up with their views as well. But yeah, we've got to embrace it. I want you to crystal ball gaze. So if you were to look into your crystal ball, Gemma, what would the future of education look like in 2050? What's going to still exist that we're doing today? And what do you think is going to change? Maybe then what should change? So in terms of what should change, I really want to see education be more equitable, obviously around gender, but also race. Uh, You know, I really want all students to feel equally valued in education and also to do with social backgrounds as well. I worked for a decade in the state sector, uh, sometimes working with students from very deprived backgrounds. And the gap between our um, richer families and our most deprived families is, is vast in this country. And that has got to change. So I'm really passionate about um, making that difference. I really want to see some exciting tech in the classrooms. And um, I, I really think that we'll see be seeing mixed reality. We're obviously dipping our toe into VR already. Um, but In 50 years, there's got to be mixed reality going on. And the classrooms have got to look different. They've looked the same since Victorian times. Uh, We work really hard on trying to create uh, collaborative spaces here at BGS. And uh, we've particularly done the sixth form up recently. And I love seeing the girls working collaboratively on writing walls. Um, You know, students aren't want to sit in rows. They want to work in groups and move around and, and have that flexibility. So I'd like to see our classrooms looking very different. I do think single sex schools will still be here. I think there's always going to be a place for all girls education. Um, But I'd also really like to see us being more global in our education, broader. Um, Obviously, we're an IB school and uh, I'm really passionate about that breadth in the sixth form, Um, particularly the maths which obviously, as you know, Rishi Sunak's keen to get everyone to study maths until uh, 18. We already do. Um, but also around languages. Um, I, I, I love languages. You know, I've learned um, French and Spanish. I worked in Brussels, you know, working in French. Um, I, um, I've lived abroad and students in schools in Asia are learning in their second language. So English being their second language fluently. And then on top of that, they're learning French, Spanish, German, Mandarin. So I think the English speaking world is vastly behind other parts of the world. Well, so many uh, people in in the English speaking world only speak English. And we've got, 
you know, people in other parts of the world speaking three or four languages. So I'm really passionate about languages and I, I'd love to see that broader education so that all students are learning a language up until uh, 18. And I'd really like to see a move away from traditional exams. Um, we've got to be using tech. I've been told recently that it's going to take 10 years before they can change GCSEs uh, onto tech. Th that is just beyond belief. Um, and yeah, and also I I'm really passionate about the fact that traditional exams don't suit everybody. And if I, I think about students with ADHD or ASD who are bright and articulate and will go off to have amazing careers, but they can't sit and do an exam. And I just, you know, I've, I've really struggled with exam results being this value judgment on, on a child. Um, so I'd love to see a move away from that where, you know, students can demonstrate their abilities through group work or presentations or, uh, I don't know, lots of different ways. So um, I'd really like to see a move away from that. Well, in 27 years time, we, we, we can see whether or not your, your, your prophecy has come true. Uh, I'm, I'm with you on all points. By the way, um, I think the, the sooner we can get away from rote exams, you know, particularly when I, I, I speak to my son and he was because my younger daughter is now doing chemistry at GCSEs and he's, he goes, I don't remember any of it. And he got an A star or an eight or a nine, whatever, a nine. And it's just like he goes, I don't remember it. And I'm going, the, the, here is the point. He, ha he had to learn it to pass an exam. And right now he's thriving, doing things he wants to do, and he knows everything about it. So 10 years to turn it into a, a digital exam. Uh, yeah, I, th I think we got to get rid of it before we try and digitize it. <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll see where we get. Gemma, amazing. You've been an absolute inspiring podcast guest. So thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. It's been lovely talking to you. You can connect with me on Twitter, Instagram and via LinkedIn. Remember, keep inspiring schools. We need more future school thinking now.